Some of us think of the Bible as a book of laws, a book of precepts on how to be a better person, or even good. We sometimes think of the Bible as God's rule book. As we learned in our first podcast, this view is incorrect. The Bible is God's story, His story for our lives. But we frequently are busy writing our own stories. So what happens when our stories interfere with the truth of God's story or supplant that truth? We will explore these questions and attempt to provide answers on this podcast. Our program is titled Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Greetings, Aaron. Hey, Chuck. Let's begin with a short review of our last podcast. What do you mean when you refer to the Bible as God's story? Yeah, so like you said in the opening, uh, the Bible isn't fundamentally, and, and if you read the Bible, it comes across right away. It's not fundamentally a book of rules or principles or inspirational sayings. It reads like a story, and in fact, it claims to be God's story, the story of everything from the very beginning uh, to the very end with four main chapters, which I believe we talked about last time. Uh, creation, you know, where did the world come from? Uh, the fall, what's wrong with the world? Uh, redemption, how does that get fixed? And then restoration, how does it all end up in the end? And uh, According to the Bible, creation comes from God. Our whole world, our whole universe comes from God. It was designed to glorify him and make um, make him happy uh, with creatures that have relationships with him and with each other and with the environment. It fell. The things, everything that that is in our world that's wrong is because humans rebelled and introduced brokenness and corruption into everything from a, you know, a fight with your neighbor to a a skin knee to you know, ultimately uh, death and everything that's in between happens because humans have rebelled against God. God comes up with a plan. This is the third chapter, redemption, where he himself becomes a human, writes himself into his very own story to fix everything. And then restoration, uh, he is in the process through the power of the gospel, uh, making everything new. And he's finally going to return someday and undo all the, all the wrong and put everything to right. In his new creation. There are a lot of us who don't turn to the Bible very often until we feel for some reason that we need an injection or we need to uh, reacquaint ourselves yeah. with the Bible. And we usually do that when we get into some kind of adversity mm-hmm. or trouble. So if that's my practice, how far am I away from understanding the Bible as God's story, as you just described it? Well, probably quite far. Because The problem we have is that Everybody is going to order their lives around story. Um, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but we don't think of ourselves in terms of list of belief. Uh, we usually think of ourselves. In fact, I I just met a guy uh, yesterday for the first time, and I asked him, you know, say, tell me a little bit about yourself. And he doesn't instantly say, you know, my favorite color is blue, and um, I really tend to be uh, lonely. He actually starts off by telling me a story. He tells me where he's from, what he's done with his life, who he's married, and the kids he had, what he does for a living. And he tells me a story. And because we all think in terms of these stories, we are going to have a story. And if it's not God's story, it'll be one of the stories that's on offer from the culture. 
So I said in the opening that we are, at the same time God has his story in play, we are very busy writing our own Uh, stories. And I'm thinking that it's probably true that for many of us, we come to the Bible and what we're trying to do is find our own story and validate our own story, use the Bible for that. How do we stop doing that and start reading it in the context that you've described? Yeah, you're totally right. Christians will do that. Christians will bring their own stories to the Bible. Uh, non-believers won't. They'll, they're content with the stories that they're writing. Or if they do think about the Bible, they'll think of it as a false story, a bad narrative. Uh, but uh, be, first of all, being open-minded to the fact that we're all writing, writing our own stories and also being open-minded to the stories that are on offer in our culture. That There's several big major, you know, according to the Bible, false narratives that we use to write our own stories, being aware of those and that they are, in fact, not ultimate reality, but that they are fake stories, helps people who are interested in the story of the Bible come to the Bible looking for this alternate story with this way better ending than the stories that we usually believe have. So if the story that I'm writing represents one room in my house, and the story that God is writing is in another completely different room. In my room, I have the Bible over on a bookshelf in the corner, and I use it when I need it. But in God's room, if I go through the door and enter his room, how am I going to cover that distance? If I'm internalized to the point where it's all about my story, how are you going to get me from there into God's room? Yeah. Uh... I mean, that's a great question. Uh, there's that self-awareness, being aware of the, your own fake story that you're trying to write, that we're trying to write, each one of us. I mean, it happens when we're challenged. There's this fantastic book by Thomas Kuhn called uh, Structure of Scientific Revolutions, where he, he actually coins the phrase paradigm shift. We have to be challenged a number of times by a true story before we begin to give up our fake stories, he argues. Now, he's talking about science and you know how... how you know, how did the world go from Copernican, Copernican physics to, um, to you know, uh, Isaac Newton's version of physics to uh, quantum? And uh, he says you just have to be confronted by the reality over and over before you begin to see this. And so one of the things to do is to get into God's story and to um, begin to feel your way around in it. And also, you know, to be aware of the fake story that you that you and I are tending to write in our lives, which it's hard to do because if everybody's writing the same fake story, it just begins to be a part of the background noise, and we don't realize it. But so, so for for instance, a, a big one, a big fake story in our culture is the story of individualism, and and all these stories have their same version of these creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So for individualism, which almost all of us in the West subscribe to, individualism has its own version of creation, which is we're individual, self-contained beings who long to be free from any sort of restrictions, any sort of uh, authorities that would uh, tell us to do things we don't want to do or to believe things we don't want to believe. In that, in that story, fall, the fall, what's wrong with the world is that there's too many oppressive authority structures. And it could be something big like governments. It could be something small like, uh, you, you know, my neighbor 
insist that I cut my grass right after he, it could be anything in between those two things. In this story, the story of individualism, redemption is some sort of liberating event where, you know, on a big scale, maybe it's a revolution, a political revolution. On a small scale, it could just be leaving home so you don't have to listen to your parents anymore. And then the restoration, the final chapter is, according to the story, is that there's this world out there where you and I can experience complete freedom. Nobody can tell us what to do. And of course, this story is uh, fake. It offers, we all believe in it as Western, what Westerners, but it's fake. There is no world where anybody gets to do exactly what they want to do. There's always, you know, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, people sitting on the subway next to you whose freedom bumps into your freedom, you're in my, my freedom, and constrains it. And so um, following this path of individualism is always going to lead to deep frustration because it's not a legit story. It's a fake story. Now, the Bible insists that the Bible does not believe in individualism. It believes in individuals. It believes in individuality. But the story that it tells is one where we could never be completely free and that the only freedom we can have is the freedom of belonging to the author of the main story. And so to to bust out of that mindset that my goal in life is not to be, my goal in life should not be to find my own individual freedom, but to find my freedom in this other alternate story is, like you say, it's a difficult room to cross over to if you're not aware of these two stories. So let's back up just a little bit here. I'm still kind of hurting from you describing my story as a fake story. Yeah. Because I kind of like my story. Yeah. I have a fake story? I don't mean fake in the sense of it's not real, that you're not really actually trying to live in that story. I just mean fake in that it's a story that doesn't match up with ultimate reality. So, for, you know, like I said, for individualism, it's not the case that you can ever achieve that freedom you're looking for. Um, it's like the the line from the Eagles song, Desperado. You, you know, you think you're free, but your prison, your freedom is actually walking through this world all alone. You can achieve a certain sort of individualism freedom, but what it means is you won't be around any other human beings. And so in that sense, your freedom is fake. If it maybe feels like a certain sort of freedom, your pursuit of it certainly is real. I mean, I, I, I don't like it when my wife wants me to do something I don't want to do or when my kids with their basic needs butt into my free time or uh, you know, when somebody at work says, let's do, th- let's do it this way and it's not the way I want to do it. But to chase after my freedom from those constraints as an ultimate goal, it's ultimately not going to work because that, that freedom doesn't exist. So is me kind of setting my story aside and actively turning and facing God's story, looking for it, is that something that I can, maybe motivated by this podcast, begin to do today? Or do I just have to wait for God to bust into my room and do it for me? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, all of us should be doing this. All of us... You know, I'm going to argue as a Christian that all of us should be reframing our lives within God's story, but that's a lifelong pursuit, and nobody's actually great at it because our heart wants all these competing stories, and there's a gazillion of them that that you know even even the most faithfully devout religious person here in the West, at least it might be different in the East, but here in the West, at least. Is still there's still a part of them that's committed to this goal of individual freedom, and that's always going to be butting heads with God's story, where He insists, "I, I, I want 
you to belong to me. I want to give you what I want to give you. I don't want you to have what you want because that's going to be damaging for you. So it's a lifelong quest to conform our own stories to God's story. So let's say that I'm in pursuit of my individual freedom. Yeah. And I guess all people are in that pursuit. And that means that freedom means something to me mm-hmm. in my story. The Bible talks about being truly free, yeah. free indeed. What's the difference between my perception of individual freedom in my story and freedom in God's story? Yeah, so trying to nail down here, like uh, within this false story, what freedom means. So freedom is great. I mean, we all, you know, the part, part of these stories, and I have several of them that we can talk about too, fake stories, they all present a part of God's creation, which is good, as the ultimate good. So freedom, you know, I got, like, like you say, Chuck, God offers us freedom. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So freedom is not bad. It's good. But when we make it our ultimate good, and our story that we're writing to achieve it, the ultimate way to achieve it, then it becomes idolatrous, uh, which, you know, on a religious sense, of course, that's offensive to the creator God who wants to be the one and only one who's worshiped. But also, like I said, it just doesn't work. Individualism doesn't work. Okay, so what's the difference between God's freedom? So God is, if God is the creator, that's the first chapter in his story, then he knows how we're designed to work. My notions of what will make me free aren't necessarily true, but his notions as the creator are, and an example I like to use sometimes, which a lot of people have heard before is, you know, if a train thinks that, you know, I I hate being constrained to these tracks. I'd love to get off into this field over here and go exploring. That's a certain sort of freedom. I guess the train is bound to the story of the engineers who built those tracks. And so the train in a certain sense doesn't have freedom. But what the engineers who designed trains and built those tracks know is that the train is never more free than when it's constrained to the tracks and never more enslaved than when it's experiencing the freedom of jumping off the tracks and getting into the field. And so it's counterintuitive if our story isn't the Bible, if our story isn't God's story, it's counterintuitive to imagine that freedom could be anything less than me choosing to do what I want. And yet God insists, I've designed the tracks. If you trust me, if you stay on this story that I'm writing, you will experience the true freedom of being able to zoom around quickly. But um, it's different definitions of freedom. Another story that's kind of related to this, If let me talk about this for a second if I can, is uh, this, one of the main stories that we like to tell ourselves in, this, in our culture is the story of the sexual revolution with, if I can run through the four chapters there, you know, the creation, who are we? We, we are... Ultimately, in the story of the sexual revolution, we're, we're beings with desires that need to be fulfilled. The fall, what's wrong, is a, oppressiveness, a, a culture that looks down upon sexual expression, a culture that says, you know, people exploring their sexuality be wrong. A lot of times religion gets blamed for this uh, falsely because, again, um, like it's, it's clear if you read the Bible, God has a wonderfully a robust and vibrant view of human sexuality that he wants us to enjoy. However, uh, within the framework of the story of the sexual revolution, oppression is being told you can't express, you can't experience sex the way you want to. A redemption, though, within this story, redemption is uh, liberation, the sexual revolution, everything that goes along with this, the freedom to have sex with whoever I want to. And then 
the restoration, the ultimate goal is a pleasure, uh, infinite pleasure sexually. But that sort of freedom, that desire for freedom within that story of the sexual revolution, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the first one to say this. It's actually enslaving. P- people don't experience sexual freedom. Your train is in the field. Yeah, the train is in the field. You think you get to do what you want, but actually there's a, a great website I was just looking at recently called uh, fightthenewdrug.org, which ar- argues that people who become addicted to porn, their brain is actually rewired so that they think a certain way. And um, this is what our so-called sexual freedom, and in any, you know, I could have, I'm picking on sexual, uh, the sexual revolution here, but, but actually any of the stories that we tell ourselves where we achieve our own version of freedom fall into this same trap, like the train is in the field. And, but, but instead, you know, so what's happening is, is that one good part of God's creation, sexuality, is being exalted and made the ultimate good. Where God wants to say to us, within his story, there's a place for in, incredible amounts of sexual enjoyment and freedom, but within his story. And it's, in that, it's, it's within that story that sex becomes what it was designed to be. It becomes fulfilling. So... I'm going to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you preach that you are trying to stay on the tracks of God's story when you're preaching to your um, congregants, but maybe I'm sitting in the pew and my ears are tuned to my story. Yeah. Do you think more than half of us or less than half of us have that disconnect going on when you're trying to communicate God's story to us? Probably all of us. It's it's a lifelong, like I said earlier, it's a lifelong um, pursuit of conforming our stories. They they always slip, but they're so pervasive. The movies that we watch, the TV shows that we watch, are going to always emphasize individual. Whether it's a revenge movie or a, a, a rom com or a drama, human individuality is always going to be emphasized, and so it's always sneaking up on us like that. Part of my job as a pastor, part of any Christian's job who talks to other people about their faith, is to not only present God's story, it's the main job, but also to highlight the idolatrous stories that our culture has on offer, and to always be pointing those out as fake stories. And so I have to always be trying to think of creative ways. I don't always do a good job, one, because I'm not the best communicator, but two, because I'm fighting my own battles with my stories, my own fake stories that. Um, I have a power is a big one is a a big fake story of mine, you know, that, that I need to be in control and what's wrong is people won't let me be in control, but if I can convince people that I'm right, or if I can, you know, if I can, whatever, win an election or get the promotion at work, then I will be in charge and things will go well. That's a fake story that I'm always telling myself. And so when I start to preach or talk to people about Christianity, I find myself battling that fake story as well and thinking, if I can just convince people that this is true, then I'll get my way. And that itself is a fake idolatrous story that's, that I've always has to be challenged in my own mind. So what would you say to the person who's listening to us who says, well, Aaron's making a lot of sense here, but then he tells me that he's fighting these own battles and... You've been in the ministry for a while. You're in your your forties now, so you've been around the block at least a couple of times, and you're still struggling with it. So, if I'm going to switch to your pers- perspective and I'm going to 
incorporate God's story, I'd like to see a finish line somewhere. I'd like to get there so that yeah. if, if I took advantage of your advice, I could feel like maybe by Friday I could have this taken care of. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like you've been able to get to Friday yet. No. So there is a Friday. There is a finish line. That's what the last chapter, all these stories promise a finish line, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, freedom or, uh, you know, individual freedom or having power or having sexual satisfaction, they all promise a finish line. Now in God's story, the finish line he promises is when he returns, Jesus returns to make all things new. Meanwhile, we have progress toward that in the power of the gospel. We begin to see more of this real freedom more and more all the time. We see more sexual satisfaction, whether we're, you know, uh, uh, married or single, we see satisfaction in the gifts that God has given us, whether it's in sex or in food or in gardening or whatever it is. That happens slowly but surely, and the none of us are ever perfect at it. There is no, all I can say is this, is that there actually is an end goal. There is a Friday in Christianity. None of the other stories have a Friday. It's always a carrot that's just beyond our reach. What I would say to encourage anybody who's anybody who's interested in the story of the Bible, what I would say is this, is that there are some good things that happen in the pursuit of those good things. For, for instance, uh, being healthy. Now, I don't, you know, I, I try to go out and jog three or four times a week. Uh, it would be great if I was so healthy that I could jog forever and ever. I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle in the Chronicles of Narnia to my daughter recently. And in the last, ba- the, in the new creation story that gets told in that book, the, the creatures can run and fly. They can sprint and never get tired. So I'm out there jogging and I would think that'd be great if I could sprint and never get tired. That's actually not going to happen though. And anybody who runs knows that that is not going to happen. Instead, what do you do when, when you're jogging? What you're doing is I just want to be, I want to jog a little bit farther next week. That's success to be content with growing in this story of good health, but knowing it's never something that you'll ever attain in this life but to constantly be pursuing it and to find satisfaction in seeing bits and bits of the story get unfolded more and more as we go along. What would you say to a person listening to us who says, wow, I've never heard this before. I've, I've never really thought outside my own story before. And I know that God has a story and I'm interested in it. And I'd like to begin that journey now. I'd like to, um, do what I need to do in order to make that transition. But I have no idea how to start it or where to go. What would you say? Well, a couple things. One is um, just get into the story. We we have the story uh, written down in the Bible. Yeah, that's what you guys always say. Well, read your Bible. Yeah. And I'm going to say, I have read my Bible. But until now, I've always read it in the context of my own story looking for things that are useful for my story, looking for things that validate what I believe to be true. If I continue doing that, that I'm not going to follow your advice. I need, where's the switch on the track so that I can head a different direction? Uh, Well, uh, the second thing I was going to say is read your Bible in community with other Christians. So for, for, you know, for people who are listening to this, if I am your pastor, I can certainly help. If I'm not, I, I, I can't help. Your individual story is your individual story. But w- when I sit down with other Christians and I start to explore God's story with them, what I find is 
is that my particularly favorite false story, the story of power and how if I can just have everything in control, you know, if my yard can just look just right or if people just do just what I tell them to do, then I will finally be satisfied. I find that that's, other, that's not other people's story, but they can point out, they can see my story and point it out to me in ways that I never could on my own because I'm blind to my own stories. And I can help them with their fake stories, whatever those fake stories happen to be. So always studying the story of God and community. I, I know that there's, you know, part, we talked about the fake story of individualism. One of the ways that we can maintain that fake story and still kind of tinker around with God's story is to say, well, I'll get my Bible on my own and just read it on my own. And, and like you say, Chuck, this is just a good way to read the Bible, but never become aware of how the Bible's challenging my own fake story. When I start to read it with other people, though, who believe in the story and want to believe in the story of God and can see my fake story for what it is and are, are lovingly willing to point out to me that fakeness, then I can start to see I can start to see change and growth. I can start to see the the chapters of the story of my life look look vapid and empty for what they are, and how if I start to put them into God's story, they start to have a new and fresh meaning. But you're you're totally right. You need help doing that. You can't do it on your own. As a pastor, I assume you have many counseling opportunities on a variety of levels. Um, going to have a baptism, going to have a wedding, somebody getting a divorce, some kind of conflict. Yeah. How often do you apply this method, the God story, into whatever problem it yeah. is that people are sharing with yes. you? Nonstop. And in fact, I mean, I, this is the framework that I go through when I'm preparing a sermon or a Bible study, when I'm doing counseling, or when I'm just having a conversation with a friend about you know, truth and reality, these are the, these are the kind of things I have to do. So for instance, you know, people come in and they're, uh, you know, worried about, uh, financial stuff. Well, the American dream is a fake story that we all subscribe to this notion that, uh, you know, I need comfort and I need, uh, I need, uh, security, which of course we do. Right. Again, this is the American dream exalts one good part about God, of God's creation and makes it preeminent, turns it into an idol. And so, but the, the fall, though, of course, is that I, I, don't, I, I don't have financial security, and I'm worried about that. And of course, that's serious. That's what we, we all struggle with that. Um, but what's, what's offered in the American dream is the promise that if you become socially mobile, if you become economically upward, if you, if you can you know, save enough for retirement, then you will be finally happy. It gets challenged when we don't think we're going to save enough for retirement. When there's some sort of financial blow, you know, uh, you lose your, somebody loses their job and they come in and they're worried. And what I, you know, I, part of it, part of what I'm going to be doing is giving practical advice on looking for a new job and things like that. But the main thing that I'm going to be doing is saying you cannot find your ultimate security and comfort and satisfaction in the retirement home you had planned or the size of your bank account that in God's story the last things is that God himself gives you satisfaction and that he promises that he'll take care of us but that so that, that that's that, that's a good great, great question chuck that's the sort of conversation i end up having is saying okay what's the false story that you're writing for yourself that's been shattered now that you've lost your job or that's been shattered now that you've lost your spouse 
or that's been shattered now that you've been abandoned by somebody close to you? And how can God's real story give you purpose and meaning, not not as a psychological aid, but as like the real story that things are really going to be well in the end? I don't know if you can answer this question. It's kind of an abstract question, but does it does that work? If I come to you because I'm heavily burdened by some terrible problem, you're my last resort, by the way. You know, I'm going to try to Typically, fix it. Typically, that's the way it is. You'll be the last yeah. guy I see. And so now it's gotten so bad that I've made an appointment to see you. And my intention is to back my dump truck up and unload my story all over your desk. Right. And then you can sort it out and fix it for me. Instead, you start telling me about God's story. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, I'm a train wreck here. And why are you telling me God's story? Is it typically a disconnect when you do this? Or do you know how to plow through that and make it work or what? Yeah, well, so first of all, in my own mind, it's a disconnect. You know, I I have uh, Christian friends who point out to me my own fake stories, and uh, it takes me a while to compute that. And even when I do compute it, I still resist it. I, you know, I, I, I'm still convinced that I need power to be happy. I need to be in charge to be happy. So, you know, it's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be a gap there, and we're always going to struggle with it. Now, sometimes there's the, you know, like I said, there's this journey, there's this slow process of coming to see God's story as the real story. Sometimes people reject it. Sometimes I can say, look, you want to leave, you know, you want to leave your wife because you think that this affair that you've started and the sexual pleasure you're getting from that is ultimate meaning. I'm just telling you, it's not going to make you happy. Instead, what's really going to make you happy is experiencing your sexuality within your covenantly committed marriage. Some people just walk away because they don't believe it, and they're not going to believe it until hopefully down the road they realize that it's not going to make them happy, and hopefully the seeds that have been planted by God's word, they'll come back to it. If I tell somebody, you know, you don't worry about money, money could never make you happy anyway. I know if somebody told me that if I lost my job, I'd be like, eh. Not really sure. I, know, I can hear you saying religious things that I'm supposed to agree with, but I'm not really sure if I agree with you that money, I, I do need money. I do need money to be satisfied. So there's always a disconnect, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will start to draw people into the real story, but sometimes not, sometimes not. One more question for the person who's listening to us today who is now thinking about, yeah, I'm familiar with God's story, and yeah, it is in, sort of in second place in my daily affairs. Is, should we sit down and try to do an inventory of those stories in our own lives that really we've turned into idols? And if we should, are, is that, are we even capable of doing that? Yeah, uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, we are capable of doing it almost always, though, almost always in community. And so if you're not involved in a Christian community or if you're not seeking counsel from a godly Christian uh, you know, a pastor or a minister. Um, the first step to this is getting into that community and having somebody outside of yourself point that point you to that story. The other thing to do is uh, you, there are great books about idolatry that if anybody wants to get a hold of us, uh, I can totally recommend those books, which which specialize in pointing out to us the idolatrous stories that we tell. But mainly, get into God's word, get into God's story in community. That's the way to find out your false stories and to see them vanquished by the one true story. Thank you, Aaron. We're going to continue this uh, theme next time yeah, we let's meet. Do it. All right, we'll do that then. 
Thank you also for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast with Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you have a topic or a question for Pastor Miller, please go to our website at stjamesglencarbon.org and click Contact Us. You'll be able to leave a message there. Thanks for listening.